0: This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis.
1: Three faces of modernism in the 21st century church. Francis, McElroy, and Supich. The Latin Mass is one of the oldest forms of the Catholic Church. For centuries, it was the way in which the church's most frequently offered sacrament, the Holy Eucharist, was offered all over the world. Then came Vatican II. Overnight, the Latin Mass all but disappeared. It resurged during the first two decades of the 21st century. However, Pope Francis, someone very much in sync with the infamous spirit of Vatican II, is attempting to eliminate the Latin Mass. Mr. Luis Sergio Salomeo considers the nature of this war in his essay, Pope Francis Wages Unjust War on the Latin Mass.
0: Pope Francis' actions and words speak for themselves. They amount to war. Shortly after returning from his Africa trip, January 31st to February 5th, 2023, where he celebrated a Zaire Rite Mass to the sound of drums and dances, Pope Francis hastened to take another step to hinder even further the celebration and attendance of the traditional Latin Mass. On February 20th, Arthur Cardinal Roche, Prefect of the Dicastery for Divine Worship signed a recept in which the Pope confirmed the new rules for implementing his July 16, 2021 moto proprio *Traditiones Custodes on the celebration of the Latin Mass. According to the rescript, the bishop must request authorization from the Dicastery for Divine Worship in the following cases. 1. Allowing the celebration of the Latin Mass in parish churches. 2. Establishing personal parishes for the celebration of the Latin Mass. and 3. Granting permission for this celebration to priests ordained after July 16, 2021, the publication date of Traditiones Custodis. The decree further tightens restrictions on celebrating the traditional Mass because the dicastery, headed by Cardinal Roche, a sworn enemy of the improperly called Tridentine Mass, will not grant those permissions easily. The goal is to abolish once and for all the traditional Mass, which is of apostolic origin. Contrary to the opinion of many, however, This virtual abolition of the Mass of the Ages is not intended to leave Pope Paul VI Novus Ordo Mass as the only valid rite in the Latin Church. There is every indication that Pope Francis prefers an inculcated and tribalist liturgy consistent with the idolatrous worshipping of Pacamama, Mother Earth, held in the Vatican Gardens and inside St. Peter's Basilica in October 2019. That is not pure speculation. As already said, during his recent trip to the Democratic Republic of Congo, Pope Francis celebrated Mass, quote, according to the Zaire use of the ordinary form of the Roman Rite, unquote. The so-called Zaire use of the ordinary form of the Roman Rite is an enculturated mass formally approved in 1988 for the dioceses of what was then known as the Republic of Zaire. By celebrating this so-called enculturated rite, Pope Francis signaled once more where he is heading. As he wrote in a preface to a book on the Zairean rite, quote, the Zairean rite suggests a promising way, also for the possible elaboration of an Amazonian rite. Unquote. He said he hopes this liturgical enculturation work can help to move in this direction. An Amazonian rite is not the only one being prepared. Quote, the Diocese of San Cristobal. In the south of Mexico, will send Pope Francis a proposal to include in Catholic masses indigenous Mayan rites such as dance, music, and the participation of women. In the 19th and 20th centuries, when European missionaries were laboring to convert African peoples to the Catholic faith, the Mass they celebrated was the Latin Mass. In the second half of the 20th century, however, missionaries started to succumb to the enculturation ideology. This ideology seeks to adapt the liturgy of the holy sacrifice of the mass to African or indigenous pagan rituals, or, alternatively, to incorporate into the mass elements of today's secularist pop culture. As early as 1958, in the Congo, then a Belgian colony, Father Guido Hassen, a Belgian Franciscan, created the famous Luba Mass with drums and tribal style singing. A recording of this Mass was disseminated and heard worldwide, inspiring similar celebrations. Pope Francis has a peculiar conception of mercy. For example, He receives homosexual couples and allows himself to be filmed while embracing and cordially conversing with them, as in the Washington, D.C. Apostolic Nunciature. He invites a same-sex female couple to the Vatican, one of whom presents herself as a man and poses for pictures with them. There are no reports that the Pope urged them to repent for offending God and to convert as authentic mercy would require. One of the spiritual works of mercy is to admonish sinners to abandon their sins. In contrast, Pope Francis shows acrimony and bad humor when priests, seminarians, or laypeople strive to follow the traditional church magisterium. He ridicules them with insults like rigid Pelagians, Gnostics, and the like. He does the same with those who want to celebrate or participate in the Latin Mass. Here is how Franca Giansoldati, the Vatican expert for the Roman newspaper Il Messaggero, reported on the Rescripts publication, quote, Pope Francis declares war on the Latin Mass. From now on, only if authorized by the Vatican. The feared crackdown on Latin masses, already abundantly reduced, controlled, and subjected to the evaluations of individual bishops, has arrived. Gian Soldati is right. Pope Francis' actions and words speak for themselves. They amount to a war. An unjust war at that, against the most sacred and sublime thing the church militant has to offer God, the unbloody renewal of the sacrifice of Calvary. Pope Francis is trying to eradicate the holy sacrifice of the Mass as the apostles and tradition have bequeathed it to us in the Roman
1: Rite. Among Pope Francis's most prominent allies is Robert Cardinal McElroy, the Bishop of San Diego in California. Cardinal McElroy is well known for his sentiments and statements in favor of involving open and practicing homosexuals in the ceremonies of the church. In so doing, he espouses all the current popular jargon about pluralism and diversity. Mr. Salomeo describes the Cardinal's actions in his essay, Cardinal McElroy, Homoheresy, and the Church's Apparent Eclipse.
0: Everyone knows that the sun remains king of the skies in full splendor when an eclipse, a fleeting phenomenon, occurs and the moon's shadow covers the earth. Likewise, when God allows his church to go through crises and shadows of confusion, error, and heresy seem to overwhelm it, we can be sure that the church of God remains holy and sanctifying, just as the sun is unaffected by the eclipse. We are going through one of the most terrible crises the mystical body of Christ has ever suffered in her history. Doctrinal confusion, the horrific effects of which have been felt for a half century, has affected dogma and morals. Moral heresies are being propagated and imposed on the faithful. Given the close relationship between the truths we must believe in and the virtues we must practice to be saved, dogmatic and moral theology are related. It could not be otherwise. Moralists Lanza and Palazzini recall, Dogma and moral, or rather dogmatic and moral theology, are therefore merely two sections of one single science of theology. Father Darius Oko, professor of theology at Krakow's Pontifical University of Theology, the Pontifical University of John Paul II, coined the term homoheresy to describe the infiltration of homosexual ideology into the Church. The document on human fraternity, signed by Pope Francis in Abu Dhabi, stated, the pluralism and diversity of religions are willed by God in His wisdom. Unquote. This relativistic principle was quickly transposed from the dogmatic to the moral field. Quote, pluralism and diversity in sexual morality matters would also be willed by God. Unquote. The conclusion is that practicing homosexuals and adulterers should be admitted to the Holy Eucharist and that it is unjust to exclude them. Robert Cardinal McElroy, Bishop of San Diego, California, is among those who would draw out the consequences from the premise accepted by Pope Francis. Last January, the Cardinal published an article in the Jesuit magazine, America!, in which, among other things, he advocates the inclusion of practicing homosexuals, he uses the generic term LGBT, in all church activities and especially the reception of Holy Communion. Referring to the Synod of Synodality, he points out that several Episcopates have advocated the inclusion of the marginalized in the church. Among the disenfranchised, the cardinal includes, quote, those who are divorced and remarried without a declaration of nullity from the church, members of the LGBT community, and those who are civilly married but have not been married in the church, unquote. This inclusion entails the reception of Holy Communion by persons who objectively live in public sin. This marginalization is due, however, to the Church's perennial dogmatic theology, based on revelation, from which derive the impediments to the sacrament's reception by those who lack the proper dispositions. For example, the Council of Trent teaches quote, The divine law, which excludes from the kingdom of God not only the unbelievers, but also the faithful who are fornicators, adulterers, effeminate, liars with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, railers, extortioners, see 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and others who commit deadly sins, from which, with the assistance of divine grace, they can refrain, and for which they are separated from the grace of God. Unquote. So, one must change church doctrine on the Eucharist to allow these people to receive Holy Communion without repenting and changing their lives. Changing Catholic doctrine is no problem for Cardinal McElroy. He says, quote, The church must embrace a Eucharistic theology that effectively invites all of the baptized to the table of the Lord rather than a theology of Eucharistic coherence that multiplies barriers to the grace and gift of the Eucharist. Unworthiness cannot be the prism of accompaniment for disciples of the God of grace and mercy. The Cardinal calls for a change of dogma to change morals to allow those who objectively live in grave sin to receive Holy Communion. Cardinal McElroy's theological absurdities caused outrage among the faithful and a reaction from bishops. Bishops James Conley of Lincoln, Nebraska, Thomas Paprocki of Springfield, Illinois, and Archbishops Joseph Nauman of Kansas City, Kansas, and Samuel Aquila of Denver, Colorado, came out against the Bishop of San Diego's theses. Notably among these reactions was an article by Bishop Poprocki who argued based upon canon law. He begins by noting that the terms heretic and heresy have not been used for a long time, since bishops and clergy use less pointed expressions, such as separated brethren. But the reality, he says, quote, is that those who are separated and not in full communion are separated and not in full communion because they reject essential truths of the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. See Jude chapter 1 verse 3, unquote. Without mentioning Cardinal McElroy, Bishop Poprocki continues, quote, Thus, it is deeply troubling to consider the possibility that prelates holding the office of diocesan bishop in the Catholic Church may be separated or not in full communion because of heresy, Unquote. He recalls some elements of canon law. As the code of canon law defines, heresy is, quote, the obstinate denial or obstinate doubt after the reception of baptism of some truth which is to be believed by divine and Catholic faith, unquote. see canon number seven fifty one He continues quote, it is contrary to a truth which is to be believed by divine and Catholic faith to reject or condemn a theology of Eucharistic coherence that multiplies barriers to the grace and gift of the Eucharist, quoting Cardinal McElroy, as if no such barriers existed. They do exist, and they are a matter of divine revelation. The truth about Eucharistic coherence that must be believed by divine and Catholic faith was articulated by St. Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 to 29, unquote. Earlier, Bishop Paprocki had clarified that, according to canon law, quote, an apostate from the faith, a heretic, or a schismatic, incurs a late sententiae excommunication, that is, A sentence that is automatically incurred without any canonical process. See Canon Number Thirteen Sixty Four. Bishop Paprocki explains that excommunication is automatic since a person who espouses heresy, apostasy, or schism has de facto separated themselves ontologically—that is, in reality. From the communion of the Church. Thus heretics, apostates, and schismatics inflict the penalty of excommunication upon themselves. Indeed, Pope Pius XII taught that the sins of schism, heresy, or apostasy sever a man from the body of the Church. Contrary to Cardinal McElroy's statements, The Bishop of Springfield emphasizes that the existing barriers to receiving communion are of divine origin, for they are a matter of divine revelation. Again, see 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 29. He adds, quote, This has been the constant teaching of the church for the past 2,000 years, unquote. The bishop recalls that an automatically excommunicated cardinal can only be removed from his office or dignity by the Pope. If he does not do so, Bishop Paprocki says, quote, The unseemly prospect arises of a cardinal excommunicated late sententiae due to heresy voting in a papal conclave, unquote. And he concludes, quote, We must pray that the Holy Spirit will not let this happen and will inspire anyone who espouses heretical views to renounce them and seek reconciliation with our Lord and His Church. In his response to the various bishops and lay people who challenged him, Cardinal McElroy reaffirms his errors more clearly. I proposed that divorced and remarried or LGBT Catholics who are ardently seeking the grace of God in their lives should not be categorically barred from the Eucharist. However, a person in mortal sin who ardently desires a return to God's grace must abandon sin, repent for having offended God, confess, and obtain sacramental absolution. Only then can they be admitted to the Eucharistic table. Indeed, the Council of Trent anathematizes anyone who affirms, quote, "...that the special fruit of the Most Holy Eucharist is the remission of sins, and teaches that so great a sacrament may not be unworthily received," and therefore unto death and condemnation, this holy council ordains and declares that sacramental confession must be necessarily made beforehand by those whose conscience is burdened by mortal sin, however contrite they may consider themselves. If anyone, moreover, teaches the contrary, or preaches or obstinately asserts, or even publicly by disputation, shall presume to defend the contrary. By that fact, he is excommunicated." For Cardinal McElroy, "...the 17th century, with the inclusion in Catholic teaching of the Declaration that for all sexual sins there is no parvity of matter, i.e., no circumstances can mitigate the grave evil of the sexual sin we relegated the sins of sexuality to an ambit in which no other broad type of sin is so absolutely categorized it is precisely this change in catholic doctrine made in the 17th century that is the foundation for categorically barring lgbt and divorced and remarried Catholics from the Eucharist, unquote. However, Holy Scripture, especially the New Testament, which is, of course, from the first century, presents the sins of lust as mortal, because they are among those that prevent souls from entering heaven. This answers Cardinal McElroy's gratuitous claim that Catholic doctrine on the gravity of the consummated sin of lust changed in the 17th century. The Cardinal goes beyond his pseudo-historical argument, contradicting Scripture and the bimillennial magisterium of the Church by defending what Pius XII condemned as situation ethics. His assertions also contradict John Paul II's teaching in the encyclical Veritati Splendor. For him, Catholic morality, based on revelation and the natural law, is abstract and deductivist. Cardinal McElroy states, quote, the moral tradition that all sexual sins are grave manner springs from an abstract deductivist and truncated notion of the christian moral life that yields a definition of sin jarringly inconsistent with the larger universe of catholic moral teaching this is because it proceeds from the intellect alone Unquote. "on the contrary" In 1952, Pope Pius XII condemned situation ethics. Quote, the distinctive giveaway of this morality is that it is not based on the universal moral laws, such as the Ten Commandments, but on concrete and real conditions or circumstances in which one must act and according to which the individual conscience must judge and choose. The new ethics is so contrary to the Catholic faith and the principles that even a child can see if he knows his catechism, Unquote. In his encyclical Veritatis Splendor, John Paul II criticizes the new theological currents that deny the principles of the church's traditional morality with false presuppositions. Quote, At the root of these presuppositions is the more or less obvious influence of currents of thought, which end by detaching human freedom from its essential and constitutive relationship to truth. Thus, The traditional doctrine regarding the natural law and the universality and the permanent validity of its precepts is rejected. Certain of the Church's moral teachings are found simply unacceptable, and the magisterium itself is considered capable of intervening in matters of morality only in order to extort consciences and to propose values in the light of which each individual will independently make his or her decisions and life choices, The church has gone through countless crises and eclipses in which it seemed that the light of her grace, beauty, and truth, covered by shadows of heresy and confusion, no longer shone. However, she remained holy and beautiful and came out unscathed, Shining again in all her splendor. Like Mary most holy, She cometh forth as the morning rising, Fair as the moon, bright as the sun, Terrible as an army set in array. As Our Lady promised in Fatima, Finally, my Immaculate Heart will triumph.
1: Of course, Cardinal McElroy is not Pope Francis's only ally among the members of the church hierarchy in the United States. Another is Archbishop of Chicago, Blaise Cardinal Supich. In the following essay, Mr. Salomeo examines Cardinal Supich's Modernist Concepts.
0: Reading church documents written in progressive jargon requires a lot of attention, patience, and analysis. That is because ideas in these documents are not expounded clearly and logically, but rather with circumlocutions and contradictions. They are more suggested than affirmed. In addition, one must keep in mind the principles and methods of the modernist and neo-modernist heresy, the so-called new theology, and situation ethics. Without these requisites, it becomes difficult to understand statements like the February 9, 2018 speech by Blaise Cardinal Supich at the von Hugel Institute, St. Edmund College, Cambridge, England, titled Pope Francis's Revolution of Mercy, Amora Laetitia as a New Paradigm of Catholicity. The Cardinal Archbishop of Chicago tries to sustain and develop the thesis presented by the Vatican Secretary of State Pietro Cardinal Parolin that the Apostolic Exhortation Amoris Laetitia represents a paradigm shift, a new approach. However, before delving into Cardinal Supich's commentary, it is well to recall that Pope Francis also spoke recently of a radical paradigm shift, which he defines as a bold cultural revolution. Cardinal Supich explains that this new approach, this new paradigm for family ministry, is necessary because of the family's new situation today. He anchors this new paradigm in the Gaudium et Spes' statement that the Church must be, quote, truly linked with humanity and the history by the deepest of bonds, unquote. According to the Cardinal, in Amoris Laetitia, the Pope proposed new principles to interpret the family. He comments, quote, These principles of interpretation, six in all, force a paradigm shift, allowing us to re-envision the church's engagement with couples and families and open a pathway for doing so. The core goal of formal teaching on marriage is accompaniment, not the pursuit of an abstract, isolated set of truths. This represents a major shift in our ministerial approach that is nothing short of revolutionary. Unquote. In current usage, a paradigm is, broadly speaking, a philosophical or theoretical framework of any kind. As for the expression paradigm shift, it is commonly understood as a fundamental change in the way we see the world and things. Quote, for example, the shift from the earth to sun as center of the solar system humors to microbes as causes of disease, heart to brain as the seat of thinking and feeling. Thus, in the current meaning of paradigm shift, it is assumed that the old paradigm was defective because it was incorrect or at least inaccurate. However, Catholic doctrine and morals have as their paradigm that which god revealed through patriarchs and prophets and finally by our lord jesus christ and the apostles directly inspired by the holy spirit see hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 and galatians chapter 1 verses 6 to 9 the revelation closed with the death of the last apostle thus divine supernatural revelation which constitutes the deposit of faith, cannot be altered, not even by the Pope. Quote, For the Holy Spirit was not promised to the successors of Peter that by his revelation they might disclose new doctrine, but that by his help they might guard sacredly the revelation transmitted through the apostles and the deposit of faith, And might faithfully set it forth. Progress in the understanding of dogma must take place with the same sense and the same understanding, according to the famous instruction of St. Vincent of Larens. That is why St. Pius X's anti modernist oath to be taken by all clergy, pastors, confessors, preachers, religious superiors, and professors in philosophical theological seminaries, declared, I accept sincerely the deposit of faith transmitted from the apostles through the Orthodox fathers, always in the same sense and interpretation, even to us, and so I reject the heretical invention of the evolution of dogmas, passing from one meaning to another, different from that which the Church first had. Unquote. Therefore, to speak of a paradigm shift in relation to the Church teaching in Amoris Laetitia which states that one can no longer say that irregular couples find themselves in a state of sin, and which opens the gates for adulterers to receive communion, which a growing number of bishops around the world has been accepting and implementing in their dioceses, strongly suggests that the faith of the apostles, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, is being abandoned. St. Paul teaches, however, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach a gospel to you besides that which we have preached to you, let him be anathema. As we said before, so now I say again, If anyone preach to you a gospel besides that which you have received, let him be anathema. See Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. In his speech, Cardinal Supich continuously employs the expression God's self revelation without distinguishing between God's natural revelation through creation, see Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 23, or supernatural revelation. The latter, according to Father Nicolaus S.J., in the proper and strict sense of the word, is understood as the manifestation God makes to man through a locution, properly speaking, unquote. But this revelation, as we have seen, closed with the death of the last apostle. Cardinal Supich's conception of a divine self-revelation resembles the condemned modernist tenet of a continuous divine revelation through historical events and individual consciences. In footnote 1 of his text, his eminence makes clear the modernist notion of a continuing revelation that did not close with the death of the last apostle when he states that, quote, The flock likewise has an instinctive ability to discern the new ways that the Lord is revealing to the church. These further statements made by the prelate also go along the lines of a continuing revelation in historical events Families are a privileged place of God's self revelation and activity. God's self revelation is not restricted to those who meet the church's marital ideals. Pope Francis reminds us that the family is such a privileged place for God's self revelation that nothing can stand in the way of God's grace. If God's so called self revelation takes place in a privileged way in today's family, And if the latter have undergone such a change as to require a paradigm shift in relation to traditional church doctrine, then divine revelation also must change, or at least its understanding to conform to historical facts. This new conception of divine revelation is all the more disquieting and blasphemous in that God supposedly reveals himself even in sinful unions. Since as we have seen, the cardinal states, quote, God's self-revelation is not restricted to those who meet the church's marital ideals, unquote. Cardinal Supich's quotation of Amoris Laetitia that, quote, it can no longer be said that all those in any irregular situation are living in a state of mortal sin and are deprived of sanctifying grace, unquote, attests to this change in the very deposit of faith. Another consequence of God's revelation in the family is that the latter becomes the teacher of the church, rather than vice versa. Although the cardinal's text is confusing and contradictory, as he both affirms and denies things in different passages, the family's role as teacher of the church is the main idea one gets from statements such as, quote, "...since the family is already itself a gospel." The gospel of the family is a contribution that families make to the church's understanding and proclamation of the gospel. Families may reveal the presence and action of Christ to the church. Ministers must accompany families in a process of discernment, learning from one another in seeking to understand the mystery of God together." For the Archbishop of Chicago, the church is no longer hierarchical and magisterial, but should discern and accompany, even in public adulterers, the doctrine that should be taught. The accompaniment is also the act of forming church teaching." For Cardinal Supich, in this new church, which he calls a synodal church, there would no longer be a teaching hierarchy. Quote, Thus, in a genuinely synodal church, there is no hierarchical distinction between those with knowledge and those without. Unquote. Here the distinction between the church teaching and the church learning is abolished. Now this amoris laetitia concept that the cardinal puts forth conforms only too well to the proposition condemned and proscribed by St. Pius X. Quote, The church learning and the church teaching collaborate in such a way in defining truths that it only remains for the church teaching to sanction the opinions of the church learning. Unquote. It is important to note that the decree... Lamentabilisane was the promulgation of the syllabus concerning the errors of the modernists. The Cardinal insists that the Church learns by accompanying families, and with this apprenticeship, the Church abandons, quote, the pursuit of an abstract, isolated set of truths, unquote. His Eminence acknowledges that, quote, this represents a major shift in our ministerial approach that is nothing short of revolutionary. Unquote. This modernist approach of the Cardinal's Cambridge speech was also pointed out by Professor R. Jared Stout in an article in Crisis magazine quote, Notice how the shift occurs from families coming to the church for forgiveness and to receive the gospel to the church coming to families to discern God's will for the present moment. This teaching stands very much akin to what Pius related on conscience in Pasende that the church stands under the experience of God within the individual. Unquote. According to the commentaries of Blaise Cardinal Supich, The faithful receive the truths directly from God, who reveals himself in their families and their consciences through the Holy Spirit. He affirms, The presupposition must always be that wherever there is a family striving to live together and to love one another, the Spirit is already present. Their decisions of conscience represent God's personal guidance for the particularities of their lives. In other words, the voice of conscience, the voice of God, Therefore, God would also reveal himself through sin, and sinful declarations would be the revelation and work of the Holy Ghost. Indeed, this is a revolutionary paradigm shift. But is this still the same church, one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic, founded by our Lord Jesus Christ and who categorically affirmed, heaven and earth shall pass, but my words shall not pass. See Matthew chapter 24, Verse thirty-five.
1: This concludes three faces of modernism in the twenty-first century church. Francis McElroy and Supich. Thank you for listening. Return to order of which this podcast is a part strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. We publish a new episode every week as Tuesday becomes Wednesday at midnight. Mr. Solomon's articles are heavily footnoted. Links are provided in the show notes for the convenience of those who wish to examine his sources of information. You can hear our program in two ways. The first is to subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. Another is to go to our website, www.returntoorder.org, and click on the podcast link at the top of the page, which will take you to a list with the most recent podcast on top. Listeners can help Return to Order be more effective by giving us a five-star rating with their favorite podcast service. Subscriptions and high ratings mean that more people will find Return to Order moment online. We would also like to recommend Mr. John Horvat's book, Return to Order. It is available as a free download on our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2023 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.